0: This podcast may have explicit content and also has this implicit request. If you follow me on Twitter, why not follow The Gist at Slate Gist? It's Wednesday, October 31st, 2018. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And I hope you're having a spooky day. The president would like you to know that a scary band of ghouls and goblins are headed your way. (laughs) Yes, the president of the United States is basically the host of a late-night monster movie show on your local independent TV station in New York. We had Zachary Lee. Vincent Price did a version of this on the national level. You know, the Count Floyd from SETV type. We got a scary one for you this week. And the puns. Oh, the puns. It's going to be fiendishly fun. After the 11 o'clock eyewitness witch's bruise. (laughs) That's Trump. That's all Trump is doing. His main talking point over the last week and a half has been, Welcome to Presidential Chiller Theater. Does the caravan spook you? How about now? Soros? Question mark. The caravan, or should I say scaravan, is in Hexico right now, and they might come here seeking insane asylum. You know, the scaravan is from Honduras. Some people also from Honduras' second biggest city, San Pedro Gula. San Pedro Sula, if you didn't know. And this is actual footage from an actual rally he had where he promised the scaravan would be a zombie apocalypse, a devil's playground. It's a... Rigged witch hunt. Oh no, believe me, vote Republican or a scary witch named Nancy will haunt your capital gains taxes forever. <laughs> Soros? ha. <laughs> On the show today, I bring you some congressional races and the debates therein, which of course will clarify things for the voters in those districts... But first, let us look at an accounting of the rise in hate crimes. There's been much reporting about how hate crimes and incidents against all sorts of people have gone up. And the Southern Poverty Law Center is about to release its new statistics. We talk about the woman who heads up that project. Let me tell you about the next Slate Live event that I'm involved in. Slate's best political minds will break down the midterm elections and possibly just break down depending on the results of the midterm elections in a live conversation in Brooklyn. It'll be me, Jamel Bowie, Dahlia Lithwick, and Jim Newell at the Polanski Shakespeare Center. I can walk there. I know where that is. That will be the Thursday after Election Day, which is to say November 8th. That will be November 8th. Join us for the lively recap discussion. We'll take your questions, too. Go to slate.com slash live for tickets to that event. Perhaps you've heard, as I have, that incidents of anti-Semitism have increased by 60% since 2016. I have been pouring through the ADL's numbers, and while I don't doubt them, and by the way, they say the actual rise is 57%, they just round up to 60, I do have some questions about their huge tally. Here are some of the incidents that they document. In June, in Arizona, a university professor made anti-Semitic remarks to a Jewish student, okay? In September, in California, a 10-year-old boy was bullied in an anti-Semitic way by a classmate. In March, in California, a middle school student received an anti-Semitic note. In San Francisco, a passing motorist yelled anti-Semitic slurs at a person. In December, in Orlando, at an, quote, anti-Israel rally, someone was called a dirty Jew. And in Farmington, Connecticut, an eight-year-old girl was told on the school bus, quote, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell and that Jews are bad. Now, Unless it was the driver saying that, I would chalk that up to maybe a fellow eight-year-old being theologically ignorant. Now, to be fair, in this report, there were 537 mentions of swastikas, and the ADL also documented bomb threats to synagogues and death threats. But the question I had and have is what solid information can a group earnestly trying to document the ebbs and flows of hate depend on? Heidi Byrick leads the Southern Poverty Law Center's Intelligence Project, where she's been putting out statistics for a couple decades. They're often cited as the best in the field. She joins me now. Hello, Heidi. Thanks for doing this. Thank you
1: for having me. So what are the latest figures? Sure. Well, Well, there's a couple sets of figures. First of all, there's the FBI's hate crime statistics. They collect that directly from law enforcement officers who report that they're prosecuting or, you know, dealing with a hate crime. The latest numbers the FBI released were for 2016. They showed a rise in hate crimes of of most kinds between 2016 and 2015. And the FBI will be releasing its next set of numbers uh, sometime in November. That's when they traditionally do so. Those will be the 2017 numbers, and everybody expects to see a rise in those as well because organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center and other civil rights groups have been collecting data on hate crimes ourselves. And what we're finding are increases as well.
0: Now, I want to ask a lot of questions about the FBI hate crime statistics. When did they start keeping these statistics?
1: The Hate Crime Statistics Act was signed by George H.W. Bush, and the collection began in 1991. So it's been going on for some time. That said, most years in that, that long history, the FBI reports about the same amount of hate crimes, around 5,000, 6,000, depending. And there are a lot of problems with that data, as the FBI will readily admit, in the sense that we know that hate crimes are far, far higher. And I don't say that as somebody who comes from a civil rights organization. When I say that, it's because the Department of Justice has done three massive studies looking at survey data. They actually survey Americans every year uh, about their experiences with crime. It's called the National Crime Victimization Survey. And they say that from that data, it appears that there are actually 250,000 hate crimes a year in the U.S., Not the five to six thousand that the FBI reports. The underreporting is is massive.
0: Right. So here are some other questions. Has it been consistent? Even if it's underreported, if you compare year to year and see a rise, will you be getting a good, accurate picture of a year to year comparison at least? And then we could debate if there is a consistent multiplier to put to that number.
1: I think you can generally look at the FBI's numbers and say if the numbers went up, there's probably a rise in hate crimes. You can probably look at some of the categories, right? Like, for example, in the mid 2000s or, you know, like 2006, seven, you saw a rise of uh, anti immigrant, anti Latino hate crimes. I think generally you can say that. But the fact that there's only five or 6,000 the FBI's reporting and the Department of Justice tells us the real number is 250,000 should give us a huge amount of pause. Because what if we actually got reporting on all of that? Would the landscape look differently? Would we see this completely differently? I mean, it's, it's just a massive unknown. Now, the DOJ studies do talk about the fact that a lot of the underreported hate crimes are, for example, those against immigrants. That's because people don't want to get deported or reported to ICE, for example. We know that vulnerable populations are fearful of police in general, So, um, you know, these are things they make me pause when I look at the FBI's data. On the other hand, the FBI's data is the only authoritative source that we have. Now, what about the
0: fact that uh, Arkansas, Georgia, Indiana, South Carolina and Wyoming do not have hate crime statutes?
1: Well, in states that don't have hate crime statutes, surprise, you often find that police uh, departments don't report hate crimes. There's another layer to this. There are a lot of states that have a hate crimes law on the books, but it doesn't include certain categories. For example, the LGBT community. That's true in Alabama. And you also have situations like in Alabama, where I live, where although there is a hate crime statute on the books, you got a lot of places like Montgomery, Alabama that consistently report zero hate crimes, Mm -hmm. which I'm just telling you, frankly, that is an impossible thing. It's just not possible. So the distortions in the data are severe. That has to do with states that have no hate crimes law, states where there's a reluctance to report or use hate crimes laws. I I could go on a while about why the data is defective. What percent of hate
0: crimes are against LGBT and how has that changed?
1: Well, there's. Two things that you need to look at. There are property crimes, which is a big chunk of the hate crime data. This is what people usually think of, say, a swastika being um, put on a synagogue, right? Right. And then there's violent hate crimes, assaults, murder, um, aggravated assault, and so on. If you look at all the hate crimes data from the FBI from 1991 going forward 16 years, which is what we did, you delete the property crimes and you only leave the violent crimes, what you find is the LGBT population is the most affected by a factor of about 10 for those crimes. In other words, they are uniquely vulnerable um, to violent hate crimes, and and it's a serious issue. And so in those cases, you see the numbers of hate crimes go up. That means better reporting. That means we know more of what's going on.
0: Yes, I do see it as a good thing. But in terms of trying to assess the accuracy of either the federal numbers or your numbers – How much of it is that we're only now seeing those crimes? If I want to assess the increase in hate crimes, I was wondering what percent of overall hate crimes are LGBT hate crimes. If we know that that is a group that, you know, 20 years ago, we'd see reporting of zero in many districts. And now we're seeing reporting of some just because they're being seen now in a way that uh, they haven't been.
1: Well, I hope that that is the case. Um, usually in the hate crime statistics, the biggest categories of hate crimes are anti-black and anti-Semitic yeah. in general. Um, and the LGBT population is about 3% of the population. It's a small number, but th- that's also true of Jews who are about 2 2.5%. Two so the numbers aren't going to be that high anyways. I think what we worry about is are they completely out of whack to that population size? Yeah. And and you make a good point. I mean, as the reporting goes up, does that mean the LGBT population is facing more hate or less hate or that there's just better reporting? That's unclear. And I have to emphasize once again, the data is also really bad and doesn't represent, you know, 245,000 hate crimes a year. So we got a problem, anyways, in in trying to take this analysis too far.
0: So you use statistics from the FBI, and we talked about um, their their deficiencies. You use statistics from the National Survey, which is the uh, survey that indicates that it's not five thousand; it's more like two hundred fifty thousand. What other places do you get your statistics from?
1: Sure. So the Southern Poverty Law Center and a lot of civil rights organizations, the Anti Defamation League, Muslim Advocates—I I could go on—have also been collecting data about hate and bias incidents. We've been doing that at SPLC for about 20 years. The bulk of that data is coming from news reports, uh, some from law enforcement reports, if we happen to, to get that in or cops report something to us. That data is another set that can kind of be compared to what the FBI has and so on. It is, of course, warped by the fact that it comes from press reports, right? There's sort of a bias in that, you know, first of all, papers aren't everywhere, and they tend to just report on more extraordinary crimes, and they report more on hate crimes today than they did, say, five years ago or 10 years ago. What our data shows, given all those problems, is that there has been a rise in hate crimes basically over the last three years that has been significant. The FBI's data from 2015 to 2016 verified that jump, and we expect the data that will come out in November will verify that, that jump.
0: I've read through the uh, ADL's audit of anti-Semitic incidents, and unlike the SPLC, I see incidents like tauntings at school and things that wouldn't rise, things that are mean and perhaps – yes, perhaps anti-Semitic if they had it, but I don't know how you could put those in a report about – hate crimes.
1: Yeah, those I mean, I think the term incident is correct by the um, ADL. And because they've been collecting data for a long time, they have seen trend lines where you're seeing more of those things. But that is not a hate crime, right? Yeah. If I scream a slur at someone on the street, that's not a hate crime. That's a hate incident. It's a troubling thing. We don't want more of that going on. And that's what the ADL's uh, data reminds us, right? Why are these things happening? What should we do about it? But it's not a hate crime. That's different.
0: But from your perspective, uh, knowing what you know, once attention gets focused on a societal ill, one might think about anti-Semitism – It might be the case that the incidents don't rise that much, but the reporting rises or the sensitivity to the incidents rises. Perhaps the victims or the recipients of a taunt will be a lot more likely to report them, to take them seriously, to even code them mentally as anti-Semitic. I think about, you know, when I'm in high school and some jerk makes fun of five people in a group and maybe one of those taunts includes an anti-Semitic taunt. Anyway, it's a whole basket of reasons why Reporting of such incidents might go up without the actual underlying number of incidents going up as much as the
1: reporting is. Oh, I, I actually agree with you on on that point. I mean, the fact of the matter is that we have been talking in in you know recent years, especially with the rise of Trump, a lot more in the media, organizations like mine about hate and you know domestic terrorism driven by white supremacy. We've seen things like Charlottesville. And I do think those discussions could make people more willing to say something, you know, when something happens to them to bring it up, right, to report it. And it might have been happening before, but they just didn't report it. I agree with you. That is entirely possible.
0: Um, I want to ask you about a specific report and tell me if you personally didn't work on this, but it's the alt-right is killing people. And it's from earlier in – it's from February that your organization put out.
1: Yeah, my my colleague wrote that. Yes. I, I mean, I didn't write it, but I worked on it.
0: Um, I understand it has good data. Uh, none of the data seems to be inaccurate. But I have a question about alt-right. Will this killing, will this shooter at uh, the Tree of Life synagogue, we maybe aren't getting all the facts, would he be coded as alt-right? Because there is a question of, is he just a classic or someone like that, just a classic neo-Nazi white supremacist and not considered alt-right? And uh, I don't know if you your group wades in and, you know, what kind of statements are you making when you make those uh, judgments?
1: Well, in the case of our report on the alt-right is killing people, we had a particular definition that relates to the alt-right, which is infused with misogyny. For example, it tends to be an online um, sort of movement of young white men, we usually, you know, they tend to be millennials, that is a little distinctive to your classic neo-Nazi or anti-Semite. And we make that distinction in the report. I think that this alleged shooter in Pittsburgh is more of your classic anti-Semite. And the first thing I thought about when I heard about this horrible incident was the attack on some Jewish facilities in Kansas in 2014 by a man named Fraser Gled Miller. He was in his 70s. He'd been a heart former Klansman, Hardened anti semite, his entire life been inculcated in the movement forever, and then he decided one day he was going to go kill Jews. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way, um, this Bowers character is more like Miller than he is like the young men we described in our alt right report.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think the Overland Park killing uh, uh, adheres to that, and I think well maybe the Holocaust Memorial shooting is. Maybe it's just mostly insane, but the, none of those guys, although their victims would be the same victims as the alt right, none of those guys seem to be alt right.
1: No, their motivations are much more traditional white supremacy and anti semitism than the alt right, which is a you know a slightly different mix, but also includes anti semitic thinking and white supremacy. It just tends to be a lot more misogynistic. And it's a lot of people who really learn to hate online. Fraser Glenn Miller, who did the shooting in Overland uh, in Kansas, Overland Park, Kansas – he learned to hate Jews from reading pamphlets going way back to the 60s and the 70s. That's, that's a different trajectory.
0: Yeah, because on my show, I've been trying to ask the question and earnestly ask the question, even though when you do, people, you know, impugn motivation. Has there really been an uptick in the violence of alt-right or neo-Nazi activity since the election of Donald Trump? And even from your own resources, it seems that there were more killings from alt-right characters before Trump was even a candidate who had, you know, won any primaries seems to be more killings before
1: than after. Well, look, the, the number of domestic terrorist incidents connected to white supremacy, anti Semitism, that kind of thinking has been on the rise for some time now. The data shows more of those kinds of attacks in the first decade of the 2000s and this decade than in prior decades. I'm not sure, even though we saw three horrific incidents right in the last week, that that means that the frequency of these things has been more since Trump, you know, started to run for office or before he you know, was elected than it was, for example, under the Obama administration. That remains to be seen.
0: I have no idea how to f- answer the question of when the tone at the top is so violent or pugnacious or ugly, it trickles down. And it creates more hate and more rage throughout society. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think that there are a few things to say about this. We know, um, for example, when public figures put out hate material, that there's a connection to hate crimes. I don't say that because I'm a civil rights activist. There's research, for example, from the Social Science Research Network that shows that when Trump put out tweets against Islam and Muslims... In the period right after that, we saw a rise of anti-Muslim hate crimes. There's other research from the University of Warwick that shows something similar, also shows that there's an anti-Muslim party in Germany that tweets against that population. They connected that to hate crimes. We know that. So we can't act as though um, the Internet isn't fueling violence when these kinds of ideas are out there. We also know the personal stories of people who have committed um, major attacks and how they interacted online. Dylan Roof was radicalized, frankly, through Google searches. Yeah. So this is that's established science. There is a connection between hate online and hate violence, other hate crimes or domestic terrorism. And that's sort of the challenge right now. Right. What do you do about this?
0: Heidi Beirich is the Intelligence Project Director of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Thanks so much for your time and expertise.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now the spiel. The race for Congress is heating up or to hear once and perhaps future Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi tell it to Colbert. Yeah, we got this one in the bag. What now I'm saying is we will win. (laughs) We will win.
1: We will win. Please don't say that. We will win. Please don't say that. that. Do you want to say that on on Hillary's fireworks barge that she canceled? (laughs) Please, please, please don't say that.
0: Colbert looked like he was going to puke. To his credit, years ago, late-night TV shows wouldn't dare put such a polarizing figure on a week before the election. How polarizing is Nancy Pelosi? Well, apparently, she is running for every contested seat in America.
1: Pelosi's San Francisco values are wrong for America.
0: California's 12th district is the one district in America where you won't hear mention of Nancy Pelosi. Or should I say, Nancy Pelosi. As you look across the close House races in the country, you see a couple of themes. The first is that Democrats are clearly emboldened. They're on the attack in districts that are not overwhelmingly Republican to start out with. If they have any ground... Beneath their feet. If they have any wind in their backs, if they have any purchase on all the cliches about wind and ground, they're going for it. Which is to say the mood of the district is very predictive of the tone of the candidates. Let us take Washington's 8th congressional district, which is in the middle of the state. The Republican incumbent retired, which leaves the door open for Dino Rossi to run as the Republican. He's a state senator. He's a calm, business-oriented Republican type. But he is pro-life, though he doesn't really want to dwell on it. You know, I've always been very clear on this, too. I've never run on that issue. Uh, My opponents always have run on that issue. So he believes in restricting a woman's right to abortion, and he will vote against a woman's right to abortion. But unlike his opponent, he's proud that he won't make that an issue on the campaign trail. I guess the element of surprise is always a fun thing. Perhaps he looks at the fact that his opponent, Kim Schreier in this case, is vocally pro-choice as sort of a character flaw. I can't quite figure it out. But he did go on in this debate to own where he stood on the issue. I just most recently finished as chairman of the board of Special Olympics for the state of Washington. The USA Games that you saw here this last summer, I'm the chairman to help bring those here. So the most vulnerable are very important to me. And that's where it comes from, my, my belief in, in, in the importance of life. I, by the way, would argue that one could both volunteer for the Special Olympics and want full reproductive rights. And unlike Dino Rossi, I would, in fact, vociferously argue it, unless maybe I was running in Washington's eighth. Like I said, it is an evenly split district. So Rossi, in a tough atmosphere, had to downplay some of his stances and reach for what Republicans seem to believe are the magic words. My, my opponent's number one supporter is Nancy Pelosi, who's probably spent more money against me than any other human being in America at this point in time. Kim Schreier had some magic words of her own, but hers were of a healing variety. As a pediatrician, she has some standing when she says. So I understand our health care system as a doctor, but also as a patient. And I got into this race because I want to make sure that every family in this district, in this country, can afford the care that they need. Now contrast that with North Carolina's second district, where Democratic challenger Linda Coleman pressed incumbent Republican George Holding on the health care issue. And his answer was basically, that is my stance. And if you agree with my stance, vote for me.
1: I voted to repeal Obamacare as many times as I was given the opportunity to vote for repealing Obamacare. 61. I did say so. I would have done it 62 times. Mm-hmm. The um, Obamacare didn't work.
0: It's a fascinating race over there in North Carolina. It's really close. Although the 538 ratings say that holding is a big favorite. Last month, a couple polls were released that indicated this was a one point race. Weirdly, or perhaps ingeniously, one of those released polls was a poll by the holding campaign itself. I guess he figured that to goose complacent Republicans, he would have to make it clear that he could lose if they don't vote. And he looked at the Democratic-Republican swing of his district, which Cook rates as Republicans as plus seven, and he thought it was good to emphasize the fact that he may be on the ropes. There's another really, really interesting component to this race, and it's racial. Holding is white. Coleman is black. The district is 74% white. No black Democrat represents a district so overwhelmingly white and Republican. It's not even close. Now, Utah's Mia Love is an African-American Republican in a district that's only 1.8% African-American. But Linda Coleman, representing this district, should this come to pass, should that one-point poll be more accurate than the 538 ranking, Linda Coleman would represent something that we've not seen before. And it would also mean this is a huge wave. And if there is a wave... The ones who usually suffer the most are the children. No, they're the moderates. The moderate politicians who match their moderate districts and then get swept away by waves. One such candidate is Brian Fitzpatrick in Pennsylvania. He's a Republican who actually had asked his competitor, the businessman Scott Wallace, not to use the label Republican so much during debates. In the debates that I've seen, Fitzpatrick, however, does seem the more confident speaker and the one with the greater grasp of the issues. This was his response to Wallace's assertion that Fitzpatrick wants to end the protection for pre-existing conditions.
1: Everything he just told you about pre-existing conditions is a lie. Everything he just said. I am the co-sponsor. First of all, I voted against both repeal attempts, and I'm the co-sponsor of Bill 1121, which will protect pre-existing conditions in perpetuity. So, Scott, I don't know what bill you're referring to. Maybe you can give me the number. That was a sense of the House resolution completely non-binding. It doesn't do a thing, and you know it. Eleven twenty-one. Not true. And if you can give me the bill number of any time I've ever voted against pre-existing conditions, you don't have it because it doesn't exist.
0: I know how you voted. You obviously don't. On the facts, Fitzpatrick is right. There are a lot of Republicans saying, no, 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 I believe in pre-existing conditions. But Patrick actually seems to believe in pre-existing conditions as worthy of protection. He actually did co-sponsor an actual bill, not just a sense of the House resolution that would have protected some pre-existing conditions. He is also an FBI agent who opposes Trump a lot. He has introduced legislation about the release of presidential tax filings. And in this race, he has challenged Scott Wallace to release his tax filings. And Wallace, who is a millionaire, has declined to do so. He is exactly the sort of Republican you would want in Congress, If you would ever want a Republican in Congress, and in 2018, I'm not sure you do, because the most important vote is for Speaker of the House. That's as important as every other vote that will come. There's so much at stake now, especially a rebuke of Donald Trump and his policies. 538 gives Fitzpatrick a slight chance to win the district, which is Pennsylvania's first. The district is slightly more Republican, and as is often forgotten in these forecasts, Fitzpatrick does seem to be the better candidate. In fact, during an earlier debate, Wallace muttered either, ah, fuck, or ah, shit, under his breath as he was debating. And by the way, this debate took place in a synagogue, and he was standing on the bima, which is essentially the altar. But it's like the old adage goes, as goes Pennsylvania's first congressional district, so go probably not too many other swing districts That is, if Nancy Pelosi is right and the Democrats are going to win in a walk. And that's it for today's show. The Gist was produced by Pierre bien Cause Internal Bleeding, and Daniel Slader. The senior producer of Slate Podcasts is tombstone jack-o'-lantern Raphael. The Gist. For dinner tonight, I will enjoy a ghoulishly. Oh, sorry, that's just a goulash. I will be enjoying a goulash with a side of blood orange, blood orange, and goulash. I have eclectic tastes. Umperu de no, peru. Nope, nope. Boo, Peru. And thanks for listening.